0: You know, I'm standing right here on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Over my shoulder is where Jesus gave what we now know in Mark and Matthew chapter 5 is the Sermon on the Mount. And what a great opportunity it is just to be here. And maybe next time I'm here, you can come with me. I'm here with 52 other people from Hope Community Church. But I'm really looking forward to being back with you next weekend as we kick off a brand new series based on the life of David. We're calling it life lessons and some of the lesser known stories in David's life that I think is gonna impact and challenge us as we head up to the Christmas holidays. But I really wanted to talk to you just for a second because you may or may not have heard that Mr. David Martin, uh, the very generous gentleman who gave us the property on Buck Jones Road where we built our Raleigh campus, passed away this week. He was an incredible saint, and because of his generosity, it gave us the opportunity. We were only about a thousand people then. He doesn't even attend Hope Community Church, but he saw something in us that we were going to reach people and make a difference in individuals' lives. Many of you have been impacted in all of our campuses because of the generosity of Mr. Martin. And it's a tremendous loss for us, but what an incredible win for the kingdom of God. And I would just encourage you, uh, the funeral is Monday, be praying for his family. And if you have an opportunity, just just, kind of step aside and say, God, thank you for people like Mr. Martin who understand the principle of seeking first the kingdom of God and all of these other things will be added unto you. God bless you guys. Have a great weekend. Can't wait to see you next week.
1: I know I will miss my conversations with Mr. Martin on Saturday nights, and uh, man, if I get to experience half of what God did through him in my lifetime, I know that will be a a very fulfilled life. We are, though, excited to have Mike back with us next week, and make sure uh, that you get to one of our four campuses and uh, come and check out this brand new series. Uh, I'm very, very excited about it. Bring someone with you. I think it's going to be a a very powerful, powerful time. Today we're going to wrap up our series that we have been in called Fear, and in this series we've been looking at uh, some of the, the top things that people have been searching for online, searching for answers, searching for help, searching for hope, and we've been looking at what is the Bible have to say about those things? And so in week one we talked about the fear of rejection, last week the fear of failure, and today we're going to wrap it up by talking about what does the Bible have to say to help us overcome the fear of commitment in our lives. Now of these three, right, when I I go through these three and uh, these three topics, this is the one that I, I didn't think I struggled with very much until I had some, some friends and some people that, uh, that say they love me um, remind me of certain things in my life that maybe, uh, maybe this is something for me. Um, this is a, a picture of the, uh, the back of my office door Um, This uh, is—that's just the—several of the shirts. That's why it takes 25 minutes for me to decide which plaid shirt I'm going to wear on the weekends. Uh, Maybe have some commitment issues there. Uh, My work history, I worked and lived in—we lived in Southern California, worked at a church there. We came uh, here and was at Hope for about six years before going back to that church for a couple years, before coming back here to Hope for the last four years. And that felt normal to us to go back and forth from uh, coast uh, to coast. Uh, I had kept putting off my annual physical for about eight years. Uh, it's been about how long since I had been. I went last week and uh, things that looked good, but I did have to get a couple of shots. And as a result, they put uh, they gave me some, some Band-Aids and uh, I figured figured I probably maybe should stop seeing my pediatrician and maybe I should get a, a real doctor uh, in my life. And, and I struggle with finishing this message off. So maybe I do have commitment issues and uh, it's kind of come to light for me. I know I'm not the only one. I think we all struggle with the fear of commitment in our lives. That's why when friends ask us to move, right, we would say things like, oh, let me, let me just check my schedule first, right, see if I can, if I can fit that in. Uh, maybe it's when someone invites you to go to fill in the blank, and, and your response is, let me ask my spouse, or uh, check with my mom, or whoever it is is kind of your go-to on, on that side. Maybe it's, how about a second date? I'll call you, right? Like, yeah, I'll call you. I'll, I'll set that up, or uh, let's start a family. I'm not sure I'm ready for that yet. Maybe it's when your mom calls you, you let it go to voicemail, right? Anybody do that? Don't don't put your hands up. Mom might be here, right? You don't want to get caught on that, but you're, just, you're not willing to get into the commitment of, of talking. How about this one? Are you ready to serve in a ministry? Well, let me pray about that, right? Let me pray about that. We all have those go-to things that keep us from committing right away because we're not sure if it's the commitment we want to make or if there's a better option out there. In fact, I think one of the biggest reasons why we fear making commitments is really because we have a fear of losing control. And, and it's really fueled by that question of, of what if, right? What if it doesn't go the way that I hoped it would? What if it's, if it's not the desired outcome for me? What if I choose this and then realize that I missed out on something even better over there? And so we having, not having control in our lives, it tends to fuel this fear to make commitments, to make decisions in our lives. Let me give you a quick test, and, and with these, with each one of them, just make a, a little mental check, right? If the, check this off if this is something that, that you would say is true in your life. Do you get rattled when things don't go as expected, right? Does that kind of catch you off guard a little bit? Here's a second one. Do you often worry about things that are beyond your control? Third one, do you lose sleep over pressing issues? Maybe it's you can't sleep, right? You can't fall asleep, or you wake up in the middle of the night, or you wake up early, and it's the first thing that's right there on your mind again. Uh, Fourth one, is it hard to turn your mind off, right? Is it hard to stop thinking about those things? It's just constantly going, and it's just rolling through your brain at at all times. Number five, does the unknown intimidate you? Not knowing what's going to happen, right? Does that intimidate you? Number six, do you often imagine the worst case scenario? See, I think if you checked off yes to three or more of those, then I think it's pretty safe to say you have, you have commitment issues. How many of you had three or more? How many of you are like, I'm not going to commit to putting my hand up, right? I'm scared people will reject me, and then I'm going to feel like a failure. See, this whole series is just, it's perfect for the things that we're dealing with. I want to help us today because I, I really think that we can find some ways to overcome this fear of commitment in our lives. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 10. And we're going to take a look at a story in there today and a story of 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 jesus if you didn't bring a bible with you that's okay you can download our app and follow along there's notes there you can follow along on the side screens as well. One of the things that I love to do is, is help paint pictures of stories in the Bible. And, and, and I think the Bible should always be the highlight of, of any message, right? That should be the best part of it. It's not, not my stories. It should be God's stories. And so it's one of my favorite things that I get to do because the Bible is so real, and, and it is so helpful in our lives. It's, it's real people that are encountering a real God. And so as we've done in this series, we're going to take a look at a story. It's an encounter between Jesus and and someone who had trouble making a decision, someone who faced a commitment issue in their lives and and how they responded to it and how we can learn from that and how we can respond. I want to read the whole story to you so you see the big picture, and then we're going to come back and we're going to unpack it just a little bit. Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 17, says this. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him one thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then, then come follow me. And at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, then who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, we've left everything to follow you. Now let's break this story down a little bit and, and look at some observations from it. Beginning of verse 7, right? Let's go back. It says, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. A good teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I like this guy, right? I like that he came running up to Jesus. A lot of times in the Bible you see people are kind of sneaking up to Jesus, right? Or they're kind of hanging out in, in the back of the crowd. But this guy, he's ambitious, he's, he's bold, and he's also very humble. I love that when he gets to Jesus, he fell to his knees in front of him. But with his chest still heaving, right, from being out of breath, he asked Jesus the most important question in life. Now we don't know much about this guy, My guess is that he wanted a a quick fix, right? He was looking for maybe an, an 11th commandment, something that he could just check off very easily on his spiritual journey and say, done that, right? Now I have eternal life. He was just looking for a simple, easy spiritual plan. Verse 18, why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. See, Jesus here, he begins to test his understanding of who, who he really thinks Jesus is. He says, only God is good. And Jesus is saying, are you seeing me in that light? Is that who you see me as? Do you see me as God? And then he did what any good rabbi or any good Jewish teacher would do. He, he pointed him back to the Old Testament Jewish law. And this guy, he knew the law. And it basically is, is this. If you obey the commandments perfectly, then, then you will live, right? If you follow the rules, then, then God will bless you. Verse 20. Teacher, he declared, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. Now, a lot of times when I read the Bible, right, I, I like to, to, to think, well, what would it have been like to be there? Imagine being one of Jesus' disciples, right? Imagine being in the crowd that day and hearing this exchange between Jesus and this guy. You, you know what I would have done if I was there? I would have been done, time out, time out, time out, right? Come on, right? Like, there's, there's no way. Okay, maybe you haven't committed murder, and, and I'll give you a pass on, on adultery, but what about the other ones, right? Do not steal. You mean to tell me you've never stolen anything? You never took a, a, a tent stake from your neighbor's tent, right? Like You never, you never did that before? Do not lie. You've never lied. Like, when you were hanging out with all your buddies and you were talking about how many goats you had, you've never exaggerated on that number just a little bit. Do not cheat. Seriously? Like, in in Abacus 2 in high school, when you forgot to study for the final exam, you're telling me you you never looked over at the other dudes, like, bead rack to see what the answer was? Like, Like, you never did that? How about honor your father and mother? You never made faces behind their back. You always watered the camel as soon as they told you to, to do it, right? And, and, and basically, this guy's saying that he's perfect. Now look at Jesus' response, because it's so much, so much different than how I would have responded if, if I was there. Verse 21, Jesus looked at him and he loved him. See, Jesus felt genuine love for this man as he looked at him. And we've said this throughout this entire, this entire series, right? That that's how Jesus responds to us. That's how Jesus is looking at you. He looks at you with genuine love. He looks past your sins. He looks past the faults and the fears and the failures to see who you are, the the one that that God created to be in relationship with from the very beginning. See, it's a very powerful moment. Now, let me just give a a quick aside to this, because when we talk about Jesus, right, when we we study Jesus, when we learn about Jesus, uh, you, you know what else you can find out about that? You can also find out about the character of God. See, if you want to know what God is like, then you simply look at Jesus. The things that Jesus did, the things that Jesus said, the way that Jesus lived his life always points back to the Father. Verse 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, then come follow me. Now, Jesus takes a hard left here, right? And and I think this guy's got to be stunned by this. I mean, he's breezed through the test so far. I don't think he saw this coming. See, the Bible doesn't give us the tone that Jesus uses, but I imagine that if he's looking at him with genuine love, that Jesus is also responding with compassion, right? That, That he cares about him when he says, go sell everything that you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then, then when you've done that, then you can come and follow me. That's not what this guy wanted to hear. So you know what I love about Jesus in in, in this moment? I I love that he just just told him the truth because he loved him, right? He wanted what was best for him, and so he challenged him to give up what was most important in his life. Now again, let me pause for a second because I want to make sure we have a a clear understanding of, of something else. This passage does not suggest that Material possessions and, and money, right, that, that those things are evil. That's not what the Bible teaches. The love of money, that's bad, right? The Bible says that we need to stay away from that, right? Putting your possessions before God, yeah, the Bible says don't do that, right? That, that, that teaches against that. But in and of themselves, the Bible doesn't teach that, that money or possessions are bad. See, what happens here, what Jesus is doing is he's actually telling them, this stuff in your life, it's become a barrier between you and God. The the issue that you struggle with, your your main issue, your your main commitment is to materialism. And if he really wanted what he was looking for, then he was going to have to sacrifice the thing that he loved the most. Let me ask you a question. What is the thing that is or, or can be that barrier between you and God? What is that thing in your life that you can easily love more than you love God. Verse 22, at this the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. And this week I, I wanted to look in, in the original language, in the, in the Greek, in the New Testament, to, to see if, uh, if there was a different translation for, for his face fell, right? Maybe the other, maybe the other thousands of translators had, had missed something in this. But actually in the Greek, the word face fell are, are words describing a, a sky becoming overcast in, in anticipation of a storm. His face looked like a, a sky when a storm is rolling in, right? That, that there was this progressive darkening in this guy's face as he heard the words of Jesus and as he took them in and he mixed those words in with everything that he had and he wrestled with what mattered most in his life. And it says that he walked away sad. You ever ever had that experience, that moment, right? Where where your face started to get a little bit darker, right? When you were realizing that the way you were living, the things that you loved were maybe different than what God was asking you to do. So he thought all about the property that he owned. But you know what the truth is? The truth is that the property actually owned him. And this guy was a prisoner to his stuff. And so he gave up the greatest to hold on to something that was far lesser in, in value. And it says that he walked away sad. It's because he said yes to one thing, meant he had to say no to something else. And so he walks away. And and when he does, Jesus uses this for an an incredibly powerful, teachable moment. Verse 23, Jesus looked around and, and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And see, this principle, this concept, it it totally amazed his his followers, right? so much so that Jesus had to repeat it, and this time he, he added an illustration to it. See, what this verse is very subtle. I don't know if you realize and get what Jesus did here. He's actually, he's actually using humor, right? He's painting a, a picture of something that's, that's kind of ridiculous. He was being funny, but none of you laughed, right? It's, it's one thing when I say something that's brilliantly funny and, and you don't, you're not wise enough to get good humor, but, but when Jesus is being funny, right, and you don't laugh, that's how people get smited, and I feel like I just need to, to warn you on that. See, Jesus is trying to illustrate how difficult it is for this rich guy And he he, kind of says this, imagine the largest animal here in Palestine, right? Imagine it trying to get through the head of of a needle. And and, and, humor is all about timing, right? And in fact, maybe you just had to be there. Actually, Pastor Mike told me he was there during that time. He said it was very funny back then. And so uh, verse 26 says this, the disciples were even more amazed. And they said to each other, then who can be saved? I mean, they were already amazed. Now they're like, they're at astonished level, right? Because in Jewish culture, wealthy people, they were seen by others. They were seen as being, as being blessed by God, right? That if you were rich, if you had lots of stuff, that, that God favored you. And so they're thinking to themselves, if this guy can't get in, how, how are we ever gonna get in? Verse 27, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God what's he saying here? He says this. He says, no one, and including everybody here, right? None of us, none of us can be saved by our wealth. We can't be saved through our talents. We can't be saved by our, our accomplishments. It is impossible for me to be saved on my own terms. But everything is possible with God on His terms, which leads to the question, well, well what are God's terms? Well, God wanted to be, number one, in in this man's life. He wanted to be the the first priority. He wants to be first in my life. He wants to be first in your life. See, God wants to be your greatest commitment. Verse 28, then Peter spoke up. He said, we've left everything to follow you, Jesus. See, Peter wants to remind Jesus how committed he is. He and the disciples, right, they chose to give up everything to follow Jesus, but but I love over in Matthew's gospel, right? Same account of this story. But, but after Peter said this, in Matthew's account, there's, there's a follow-up question that Peter asked. And he says, Jesus, what, what's in it for us? All right, We've left everything for you, Jesus. But what, what, what am I going to get out of this? And maybe that's the question that you're asking. I mean, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What, what do I get out of it? What's in it for me? See, even though it's a self-centered question, it's, it's not a bad question. And I think God's big enough to handle that kind of of question. In fact, as we've been journeying through this, we're about to get to the the answer. We've kind of been leading you to that place. We've been slowly climbing to the top of the the Tower of Terror, right? So buckle your seatbelts, hang on to your your pancreas. Here we go. Here's here's the answer, verse verse 29. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel— will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Let me give you a few observations here. The first one, real quick, your commitments show what you value. Your commitments show what you value. This is a story of, of two different responses to the same commitment. For this guy, he had a choice that he had to make between whether he was gonna hold on to what he had or whether he was going to trust Jesus with what he promised. The question became, what do you value most? Verse 21, right? When Jesus looked at him and he loved him and he said, there's one thing that you're lacking, you need to go and sell everything and give it to the poor and then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come back and you can follow me. The question is, is did he really want what he said he wanted? Do you remember why he came to Jesus in the first place? You, you remember what it was? He wanted eternal life, but instead he chose to hold on to what he had. He valued what he had more than what Jesus was promising him. Verse 28, then Peter spoke up and he said, "We've left everything to follow you." See, Peter and the disciples, they chose differently. The commitments you make always reveal what you value most. You ever been to a restaurant? You, you had trouble choosing between a, a couple of things. You're like, ah, they both sound good. You have commitment issues, right? And, and it's hard to, hard to choose. And, and the, we play a little game in the Peters family where, where you have to um, randomly assign a one or a two to either one of those. So one is a one, one is a two, and then someone else in our family will actually choose a number, and they will decide what you're going to eat that night. And as soon as they make that decision, as soon as they say that number, it, it instantly, you know if you made a good choice or not, right? It either confirms, that's what I really wanted or you're kind of left a little disappointed. See, your commitments show what you value most. Number two, every commitment costs you something. Every commitment involves a no and it involves a yes, a give up so that you can gain something. When we say yes to something, we always have to say no to something else. Verse 22, at this, the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. See, the fact that he went away sad shows that he knew that there was a, a cost involved. And in fact, that his choice had cost him, it had cost him greatly. He gave in to his fears. He didn't trust Jesus at his word. And he didn't believe that the reward was going to be worth the cost. See, teaching on the weekends, it, it, it cost me. Now, please don't hear that. I don't share that story because I want you to feel bad for me. I love what I get to do. But there have been multiple times where, where my son Ty, especially when he was younger, where he would come up to me and he said, Dad, can we go, can we go hit? Because he's a baseball player. Can we go hit or, or are you too busy? And every time he asked that, right, it's it, it stung because he already saw that there was a, a competition between my, my work and, and my time with him. The truth, there was. It was a competition, right? And I never wanted to communicate that to him, but sometimes, Sometimes I had to choose to say, Ty, I'm sorry, I, I, buddy, I, I just have to finish this message. And every single time he would say, it's okay, I understand. But he knew in that moment that I valued something else over him. But there were also times where I got to say, oh, Ty, no, why don't you go get your bat, right? I'm not too busy, Let, let's, let's go hit. But it cost me, right? Every single time it cost me because I, I would have to stay up later, I would lose sleep, I would lose prep time. See, every commitment costs you something. When you choose to say yes to something, you always have to say no to something else. Sometimes that decision is difficult. Sometimes you have to give up what you want now for what you know is better later. Here's a third observation. A commitment to Jesus always gives you more. See, when you choose Jesus over everything else, the reward is always greater than the cost. Look at verse 29 again. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left homes and brothers and sisters, family, right, children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes and brothers and sisters and family and fields along with persecution and in the age to come, eternal life. See, when you commit your life to Jesus, you will be rewarded. And I'm, I'm not a math guy, right? But I, I love Jesus' math here, right? It says that, that if you do, that you're going to get a hundred times more, which means that if, if I put five bucks in, right, if I put five dollars, a hundred times more is, is five hundred dollars. Now, I, I realize I'm just a dumb pastor, but that's a good investment, right? Like, that's, that's a that's worthwhile take-home right there. When you choose Jesus, when you commit to make him first in your life, Jesus is the reward. You've already been rewarded, and it impacts both the now, and it impacts eternity. But I can't just pick the good parts, right, and, and ignore the hard parts in this. Jesus is very clear that, yes, there will be a reward, but he also says that there will be, there will be persecution. That your life isn't always going to be easy. There are going to be difficult decisions that you have to make and things that you're going to have to sacrifice so that you can say yes to following him. See, Jesus is making it very clear for his first disciples, and it's just as clear for us today. We don't follow Jesus only for the rewards, right? That's not not why we do this. And persecution doesn't mean that God isn't keeping his promise to us, or that we made a mistake by putting our trust in Jesus. But what Jesus is saying is that even in persecution— Even when your life is difficult, even when it is a hard decision, even when you have to sacrifice one thing to say yes to following me, God rewards those who are committed to Him. Now, I can't promise you when you're going to get that reward, and and I can't tell you what it's going to look like. I'd be lying if I did. That's not my role. In fact, I would even say it's not your role to even worry about it. That's God's job to figure that out when God's ready to do that. But here's what I can promise you. When you choose to trust Jesus over everything else, the reward will always be more than any other commitment you could ever make. Let me show you how to deal with your fear of commitment. Two, two guiding principles to help you deal with this in your life, real quick as we close. The first is this, discover your values. See, to remove our fear, we have to find out what is really important to us. What is it that we that we really value in life? So that we can choose what to say yes to and and it makes it easier to say no to the other things. I had a pastor once that asked me these two questions. The first was this is what do you love deeply? Donnie, what is it that that, that grips your heart, right? what is it that wakes you up in the morning with a passion to want to do something? We all all have those things in our life. We all uniquely designed to us, things that bring us joy and and get that passion going. Let me give you a few of my things. One is my love for God. See, I was raised in church, but it, it didn't change me. I knew that God was there, but he wasn't my main commitment, right? He was just part of my life. It was kind of that Sunday thing, right? Like it's Sunday, God, you and me were tight. Monday, back to my normal life, right? And, and that's, that's how I lived. Maybe, maybe some of you can, can relate to that. But I remember the day that I realized that Jesus mattered more than anything else to me. It's like, a, it's like there was a switch like, that flipped over from uh, got to do this to get to do this from I've got to read my Bible to I get to read my Bible, from I've got to serve other people to I get to make a difference in the lives of other people. Here's another one for me. It's, it's my love for people. I love my family. I love my friends, right? I, I love you. Really, these are the, the richest parts of, of my life. When, when Jesus became that focus for me every day, not just, a, not just Sundays— all of my priorities switched over. Everything changed for me. Now my priorities began to become helping people get to know Jesus the the way that I've met Jesus, for them to grow in their relationship with Him. Here's another. For me, I strive for excellence. I was taught at an early age to work towards excellence, right? That, That the little things in life matter. I notice things that other people probably think are, are weird at our Apex campus. We have to set up and tear down chairs every single week. I, I notice when rows aren't straight. In fact, we've got, we've got a few guys that come in every Sunday morning before anyone else is there and they measure and straighten every, every single row. See, I think excellence communicates something. It communicates, it communicates that things matter to us. It's one thing to do a job. It's another, it's what you do afterwards. It's the above and beyond to, to make things great. That's a value of mine. Here's another one, laughter and fun. I think church ought to be fun. I think there should be lots of laughter. I think we should probably play more games. There should probably be more cat videos or something. I don't know what it is, but but I think Jesus had an amazing sense of humor. And I love to watch comedy. The problem is is a lot of it is really hard to watch, isn't it? That's something I think we should be able to take back. Laughter should be a part of, of who we are and what we do. See, these are a few of my things. But we all have to figure out what is it that you love deeply because what you love deeply shows what you value here was the second question what makes you righteously angry what is that thing in your life that that you kind of say not not on my watch right that that thing that makes you move the, the thing that that keeps you up at night and wakes you up in the morning whether that i've got to be a part of this i need to do something about that see when you know what you value then you can do the second one which is this is you decide what is most important. And then you can decide what it is that's most important in your life. See, one of my favorite teachings of Jesus is Matthew 13, verse 44. It says this, "'The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field.'" See, when we discover that the treasure of Jesus is worth more than anything else, It's an easy decision to give up everything else. And and it's not a hard thing to do because we actually get to do it filled with joy. Because when you know that you have everything, then you don't need to be afraid of anything. When you know what you value most, you can decide what is most important. And the fear of commitment disappears in light of that. Will you bow your head with me? I just want to ask you a couple questions as we as we close this out. First one's this: What's most important to you? I mean, is what you have worth holding on to, or will it leave you walking away sad one day? Will you give up whatever it is that's a barrier between you and God, recognizing that everything that God offers to us is so much better? so much greater than anything we could ever hold on to or accomplish on our own. Isaiah 41:10 says this, don't be afraid for I am with you, don't be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. See whatever your fear is. You can rest that God is with you in whatever it is that you face in your rejections, in your failures and the commitments. See, God is always greater than your fears. And he gives us the power to live courageously, to live boldly, to live fearlessly. God says, do not be afraid. See, all of that stuff that's on your mind, give it to him. And when it comes back, give it to him again, and again, and again. replace those fearful thoughts with with his words of truth. You know what the result is? You know what you'll be able to do tonight? You'll be able to sleep in peace. Because God knows what concerns you. And He says, I've got it covered. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, it's real easy because God's done everything for you. Jesus did everything when He went to that cross, when He took your sin upon Himself, when He took my sin upon Himself. He proved it through His resurrection, He proved that He was God. And he was greater than the penalty of sin. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that you will be saved. And if that's you today, if you're in this place where you, you maybe for the very first time, I need to make that commitment to Jesus. Would you just pray after me, just in the quiet of your heart? Jesus, thank you for loving me. I confess that I'm a sinner, that I, I need your help, God. I believe that you died on the cross for me, forgiving my sins, giving me new life. God, I give up everything else. And I make you my greatest commitment. See, every one of us today, we need to choose what our greatest commitment is. What is it that we value most? We don't have to walk away sad today. Because the same treasure that Jesus offered in this story is available us. God, would you help us today? God, to give up whatever it is in our lives that we have made more important than you so that you can take first place in our lives. God, help us to say yes to the right things so that, so that the no things, the, the wrong things, that, that, that it's easy to say no to those things. Right? Father, that the, the lesser things are easy to walk away from. God, would you help us to experience the life that you created us to live? So God, today we say no to our fears. Jesus, we choose you. Thank you for loving us. It's in your name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message. We are so excited to be a small part of all the great things that God is doing in and through your life. If you would like to take the next step in your spiritual journey, download the Hope app to find out ways to connect, opportunities to serve, and other resources. And if you'd like to contribute financially to our vision of reaching the triangle and changing the world, visit us at gethope.net slash giving. Thank you for your commitment to resourcing hope as we love people where they are and encourage them to grow in and their relationship with Jesus.